Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. What do you say we have a good time here? Let's have a party. Call it the Indiana Outdoor Show, and I am your host, Brian Pointer. You don't need an invitation. You don't need to RSVP. You just show up, because that's when we're here each and every weekend. Many thanks to all of those stations that carry us, some new affiliates coming on board even yet this fall. We thank you for carrying Indiana Outdoors all these two decades plus. And I, as your host, am thrilled to be here each and every week, because we get to do some fun chit-chatty stuff. How about lizards? See, they creep me out. I'm not a big herpetology guy, but we're going to talk to our state herpetologist. See, I'm just that good. I I don't know anything about them. I'm going to bring in the state's experts. And lizards and snakes and all that stuff, not my bag. Uh, Lizards, I could probably take more so than snakes. Snakes creep me out and freak me out. But... Nate Embrecht is going to be with us because I have been seeing this uh, chit chat about some lizards that have kind of migrated to the state of Indiana. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We're going to find out. Billy McDonald, one of my favorite uh, professional Hoosier bass fishermen out there working each and every week. We're going to find out what's going on on the circuit as that comes to an end. He's also a great hunter. We're going to get some of his tips and tactics. Speaking of great stories, Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine, he's always good for stories. And we never purposefully chit-chat prior to, so we never know what I'm going to get. Test my skills as a host. Nonetheless, it's all here for you. It's Indiana Outdoor Show, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Herpetology, lizards, when we return. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you. Here we are in September. We're deep into September. See, we're two weekends in, so that's all that matters. Football season well underway. So many things happening and looking forward to this fall, especially here on Indiana Outdoors. We're going to make it all here available. And as always, we're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven TosaveLives.org. Sign up to be that organ and tissue donor when you buy your hunting and fishing license. Couldn't be any easier, plus you're helping to save lives and heal others. And as I mentioned at the top of the hour, I always love it when we can talk to the different biologists in our Department of Natural Resources, none better than the herpetologist. Nate Engbrecht joins me. Nate, it's great to have you be a part of Indiana Outdoors. And you know, all things big, small, beautiful or not, we got to talk about them here on Indiana Outdoors. I saw this last week some press releases and news coverage of some lizards that were spotted in southern Indiana, and that falls right up your alley. So, Nate, first and foremost, thanks for being a part of Indiana Outdoors. How you been? Uh, doing well, Brian. Doing well. Thanks for having me. So, we got lizards. What's the lizard story all about? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, unlike our uh, man-eating snapping turtle that turned out not to be real, <laughs> a couple months ago, we've let's got just, a real-life lizard situation on our hands Well, here. let's pause on that for a second, because that is the last time you and I talked. We were debunking the yeah. rumor that there was a, uh, you know, what, 50-foot snapping turtle or something in, in a man-eating snapping turtle in Lake Monroe, but that was sufficiently debunked. Has that died down now? Oh, yeah, definitely. It was a kind of a flash in the pan and a hot topic for about a week or two. But that, that we have moved on from the turtle, <laughs> and now we're focusing on uh, European lizards that have settled into southeast Indiana. All right. Now, that sounds really cool, because any time that we can talk to experts like you, but any time we can f- spot a new critter, and it sounds like that's what's happening, not new to the to the genome, so to speak, but new to Indiana. What is this all about, and why is this important rising to the level of your expertise? Yeah, it's an interesting situation, Brian, because these are not a native species of lizard, and we don't really have problems with invasive or exotic reptiles getting established in Indiana, typically because we have pretty cold winters. It keeps them from taking hold. But in this case, it's the common wall lizard is what it's called. And it's a European species that was actually introduced to Cincinnati in the 1950s, somehow managed to get established there and has been actually kind of expanding and spreading throughout the greater Cincinnati region, parts of southwest Ohio, northern Kentucky. And now this year, uh, we found it in southeast Indiana. So I got to ask, I'm going to pause and ask a lot of dumb questions because I'm good at that. Uh, it's an easy spot for me to land. So why specifically Cincinnati? Was this something somebody brought over from Europe as a pet and then they just just take off? Or tell me more about why Cincinnati? Yeah, it's an interesting backstory. Um, as it as it goes, the story goes, um, there was a family from the Cincinnati area. It was actually the, part of this Lazarus family. They uh, owned the Lazarus department stores that were yeah. more popular popular back then. They took a trip to, um, I believe it was in Italy. The, one of the, the boys actually collected about a dozen wall lizards, brought them back to Cincinnati and released them. And a lot of times in the Midwest, that doesn't, I mean, they may live for that season and then die out in the winter, but because the climate in Cincinnati is so similar to what they have uh, in in that region of Italy, the lizards actually survived, and at least some of them did, and they they actually got established. So it, it was an intentional release, probably a you know a well intentioned you know kid just having fun. But these things actually took hold, and so that that's the genesis of the whole story there around Cincinnati. And they've started to spread. They actually over there are known as they call them Lazarus lizards. That's kind of their nickname because of that connection to the Lazarus family there. Well, how did how did you know that? I mean, there's actually been a lot of research done on these lizards over there, and they're kind of popular with the public. And so they're pretty well known in in that region around Cincinnati there. And there's been a lot actually written in, you know, in the scientific literature. There's a Reptiles of Ohio field guide that's got a whole account on these common wall lizards that are over there. And so they're, they're well known and well established in that region. And so... The, the story was that I think they actually tracked down the the guy you know the the guy who was a kid back in the fifties. I don't know if he's still alive, but he you know they actually tracked him down and he kind of confessed or told the whole story and kind of unpacked the whole thing about the origin of these things. So it's it's pretty well documented. You know, just doing a quick Google search here. Yep, Lazarus liz- lizards, and it's all about them. All right. Well, see, I say this all the time. I don't know why I sound so shocked. I learn something every day. So these critters make their way to Cincinnati. Cool backstory. Now you see them in Indiana. Why is that important? Well, anytime you've got a non-native species that starts to get itself established in a in an area or a region outside of where it occurs, 
biologists and ecologists like myself start to get a little concerned because in, in some cases they can become invasive and actually start to gain a stronghold and outcompete some of our native species. And so that's the, that's the concern with wall lizards showing up in Indiana. Really, honestly, what we're seeing in that southeast corner of Indiana where they were discovered is just an extension of what's been happening in Cincinnati. The million-dollar question is, do these lizards actually pose a threat to some of our native natural resources in Indiana, especially our native lizards like five-line skinks? All right. So I don't know, Mary. I'm not up on my herpetology. That's why I love talking to guys like you. And I mean, is this this is an interesting story to me, but for you, you're looking at it for a number of different reasons. Where does this rise on the level of concern for you as a herpetologist? Yeah, so it's not a high concern. Um, but like I said, the big question is, do they compete with our native lizards or perhaps other species? Um, we don't really know. Despite all the research that's been done on these lizards in Cincinnati, nobody seems to be looking at how they are affecting our native species. And so we don't know. There's some anecdotal evidence that they they might compete with five-line skinks. They might maybe kind of drive them out of an area. Um, we don't know that for sure. There's just kind of some um, observations that have been made on that. So it's not a major concern. It's not a threat to human safety. It's not an issue like that. It's just more like, okay, we've got these lizards. They've crossed that political boundary into Indiana, you know, and kind of what What's next? Right now, we're in the assessment phase of trying to figure out where all these these things have have occurred. Another problem with an open border, right? Open border problems <laughs> everywhere. We got the lizards coming in now. All right, so you're watching these. They're down in. What do they look like? I mean, are they freaky looking, like these hellbenders we've talked about yeah. and other things? <laughs> Actually, they're kind of neat looking, if I were to be quite honest. I'm a little conflicted because as a herpetologist, I like lizards. But since they're not native, I have to, as a biologist, check my personal biases at the door. But they're kind of neat looking. They're about five to eight inches long. Um, they're a little bit tan. Sometimes they're tan on the back. Sometimes they have a really cool mottled kind of a reticulated pattern on the back. The sides have, like, white spotting. Some of the males have little blue spots on their sides. So they're, they're slender. They're probably not that different superficially from some of our native lizards that you might see running around, but when you kind of zoom in, they've got a little bit of a different pattern. They do not have stripes or a blue tail like some of our skinks have, so that's a, a somewhat easy way to distinguish them. So I'm looking at these right now, and they are kind of cool looking, and I associate this type of critter being in Florida, you know, where yeah. you they're falling out of trees, and if it gets too cold, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. Is that kind of the same genre? Um, I mean, Florida's got a lot of different types of lizards, um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not super familiar with European herpetology, but we certainly have, you know, lizards in both North America and Europe that occur in these temperate climates that we're in. Uh, and so they come in all different shapes and sizes, but this is a fairly standard shape for a lizard that you might get in the Midwest. So we're visiting with Nate Embracht. He is our state herpetologist. So you got this going on. It's kind of fun. I like this. You know, the bears showed up here after, what, a hundred and some years? and we got three or four bear sightings and I've loved talking to our bear biologist which I'm sure he never thought he would be called such in Indiana but now we're talking about these but native or invasive species are a constant threat I mean from whatever their sources are and obviously you being concerned about this and paying attention and studying it now in Indiana are they going in other places are they going the other way too well, as far as, like, North American species going in other places? No, or? I mean, are they headed, like, over to Pennsylvania, and are they oh. going south out of the other border states? 
Yeah, so they are currently known from three Kentucky counties that are adjacent to Cincinnati. They, they were actually found in Kentucky in the 90s. And, um, and so, but basically, it's the, the core area is that greater Cincinnati tri-state region there. Um, they have had some other um, related species related to wall lizards pop up in some places like Topeka, Kansas, Joplin, Missouri. I think there's actually a colony. It's a different species, but it's related out in British Columbia, actually. So sometimes these things take hold. They don't seem to be spreading like wildfire from the Cincinnati area. They still seem to be kind of in that zone. So, Nate, I got to ask you, what have, what was your path to get to be the herpetologist in the state of Indiana? Oh, uh, well, it was a long and winding road, as they say. <laughs> but um, I actually worked as a as a seasonal intermittent, like a technician for the DNR herpetology program in the early 2000s. I ended up going back to grad school at Indiana State University, and then I spent a few years in the private cons- environmental consulting world before coming back into this capacity as the agency herpetologist. Dude, was there like a freaky thing as you were a child that you just loved snakes and lizards? <laughs> they kind of creeped have- me out. Yeah, no, I've liked them ever since I was a kid, you know, catching frogs and toads or, you know, a turtle was a big deal to catch a turtle. And so I've, I've definitely been into that ever since I was a kid. But in college, I got really uh, lit up on salamanders, actually. My background is actually a little bit more in amphibians, but I got really interested in salamanders. And uh, that is what sort of became my launching point to really pursuing this as a career. So these aren't dangerous that are coming over here, these wall lizards or these Lazarus lizards. And you can read up on it. I just Googled it and found out all I needed to know about what they look like, etc. But if you're in the public and you're, you put your pie out on the sill to cool off and you have one of these lizards out there, what are you supposed to do? How do you know to report it and what do you do with it? Yeah, so we're actually asking the public to report wall lizard sightings um, if they see any, especially in that southeast corner of the state around Lawrenceburg or Aurora or even downstream on the Ohio River. Um, and so, yeah, we've got actually um, on our press release we did, we've got actually an email. It's it's actually HERP, short for herpetology, Surveys at dnr.in.gov. You can send your wall lizard observations, especially if you've got photos. You can send those to me and I'll review them. And we're really just trying to kind of figure out where these things are at. So so it's a really nice opportunity for the public, especially in that region of the state, to get involved and get engaged and start sending me their observations so we can have a better feel for where these things occur. And I'm already starting to get emails. Most really? Of them are not wall, most are not wall lizards, actually. Most are five-line skinks. But um, I have had a few wall lizard uh, emails come in from Dearborn County there. Uh, two of them were actually right at Lawrenceburg where we found them. But it's nice that people are are properly identifying some of them. And it's, so we're starting to get some results out of that. But that would be my that would be my message is if you're seeing these things send them on over i'm always happy to take a look so i would caution people that are now going to be google searching herp survey you better spell that correctly or you may end up with something you don't want yeah herp surveys i know it's probably not the most ideal oh no you can have a lot of fun with that (laughs) have a lot of fun with it so outside of the wall lizard which is coming in and we talked about the debunking of the man-eating snapping turtle what else is preoccupying our state herpetologist time well in july june and july we wrapped up a, a multi-year survey for green tree frogs. I can't remember if we talked yeah, about Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, they've been expanding. That's a natural native species that expanded in from Kentucky uh, about 20 years ago. And so we've been working on those. We've wrapped that up. And now we're getting ready to shift into uh, some fall surveys for its state-endangered plains leopard frogs. Um, that's another critter that we just didn't know a lot about. But the, la- the last few years as we've been surveying for them, we've been picking up more and more populations, which is really good because it's an endangered species. And so we're we're figuring out where those guys are at and uh, not quite as rare as we originally thought, which is always good news. 
So when we make a call out for the public like you've done, it's so refreshing to hear that people are actually hearing, seeing the press releases wherever they get it. Maybe it's Indiana Outdoors. Maybe it's local news. Whatever. It doesn't matter because people are responding. Like when we talked about the tree frogs, I know you wanted people to go out and find, listen, send in reports and kind of be in eyes and ears on the ground. Do people actually do that? I've always wondered, you know, when we say, hey, this is a people want to know what the Department of Natural Resources. And it sounds like the answer is yes. People pay attention to this and actually do this stuff. They do. In fact, uh, we did a lizard theme week back around uh, June or July, and we featured each of Indiana's native lizards. This was before we knew we had the wall lizards or around that time. And I was amazed at how many people responded on our Facebook page with their own lizard photos. I was just amazed at how many people are seeing lizards. In that case, we weren't really even asking for them, but people were just sharing, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's what we're finding. And um, in other cases, though, where we do a specific call out, we've had some pretty good responses. Um, We've done that actually with mud puppies, which is an aquatic salamander and it turns out a lot of anglers are actually catching mud puppies on their lines and we're always trying to figure out where they occur in the state they're very secretive they live underwater and anglers have been our best source of mud puppy data so they def- people are definitely paying attention to these things and we appreciate them sending in their observations herpetology has just cornered the market on all the cool names for things <laughs> you know you got the hellbender you got the wall lizard you got the skanks or skinks or whatever you call them yeah. and, and all these other things i'm like man you guys come up with some cool names we need to we need to do that in other parts of uh, biology yeah we i guess we do we've had some <laughs> of the more obscure critters you know i mean even the word herpetology the word herpetose this uh, the origin of that word means things that creep yeah so there, there's weirdness all around on this whole thing but but we enjoy them so i love it all right hey thank you so much nate keep up the great work glad we get the opportunity to talk so much recently we'll wait for the next uh, new invasive species or expansion of what should be here anyway thanks for being a part of indian outdoors you bet thanks brian what a great conversation great guy always great to visit with our biologist in the state of indiana it is the indiana outdoor show i am your host brian pointer don't go anywhere we're just getting this thing kicked off and remember we're brought to you by indiana donor network driven to save lives.org back right after this It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, and I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you. What a beautiful weekend. Weather has been fantastic, finally. We've got fall hunting season started, dove season, squirrel season. Soon it's going to be archery season. My gosh, we got a lot to look forward to, but there's still a lot of fishing going on. As you heard me mention at the top of the hour, I always like to catch up with our professional Hoosier bass fisherman. Billy McDonald joins us. Billy, it's always great to have you be a part of Indiana Outdoors. You're one of the hardest working, nicest guys on the pro bass fishing circuit. You don't have to pay me this time because that was a genuine comment. <laughs> Just wanted to see how you're doing. What's happening out on the circuit? Doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me on there again. Uh, just on the road again, Road Warriors. That's what we are. So uh, the Bass Open at Watts Bar, uh, that tournament will be starting this following Thursday. Glad to see a little break in these temperatures. Things are cooling off a little bit. So 
that uh, fishing season's wide open as just like the hunting seasons are getting to be wide open. So exciting time to be uh, in Indiana, especially coming up into the fall. Well, I couldn't uh, have said it any better, and you've had a, a long season on the road, so to speak. How many more events do you have? How's your season been? You, Lucas Oil, great sponsor, very loyal. You're a great teacher. You're always out there meeting and greeting and all that good stuff, but it's going to come to an end here. What's left? we got three more tournaments. we got Watts Bar here in uh, Tennessee. Leave straight from there and go to Lake of the Ozarks, and then I uh, get a little reprieve for a week or two and then head to Harris Chain in uh, Florida for the final event and then pack everything up put it up and then it's deer season so isn't time to get out there isn't that funny how that goes right you know then it's deer season <laughs> and you know you've uh, put a lot of miles on how would you rate your season what's the fishing like what's the camaraderie what's the mood on the tournament trail uh, fishing's been decent this year without a doubt uh, the biggest thing going on out there is forward-facing sonar. Anybody that's on social media, you can see lots and lots of comments. Uh, forward-facing sonar, sonar is just exactly what it says. Forward-facing sonar. Live scope is, is one of them. And just uh, that's kind of taken over the industry. It's a new tool. And you know, you have to embrace it and go on. Well, you've always been an early adopter and a great teacher and evangelist for this type of technology, especially the sonar and the radars and everything else. What does this forward-facing mean to you? How's it changed your game? Uh, it's changed the whole game. I mean, there's fish that nobody ever targeted, those suspended fish. Uh, now we have an option and a way to go out and see those fish and actually target them, watch the bait go down to the fish and watch the fish either bite it or turn away from it. And to me, forward-facing sonar, really what it's done is shown everybody how bad a fisherman we really are. <laughs> you can see all the fish and they won't bite anything. So it's a frustrating game as well. So I take it that everybody on the, those that are successful at least, are going to be using this. Has everybody adopted? Uh, everybody's got it. Like I said, there's lots of controversy on social media about it. You know, should they ban it? Should they not ban it? You know, technology, you know, the fishing industry's, you know, evolved forever. I remember when I started, there was flashers. It was the only depth finders we had. And to see the technology just constantly evolve, just like everything else in the world has. And it's just, uh, like I said, it's another tool that you have to embrace. The guys that are getting beat by it don't like it. Um that, that that's, that's part of the game. You, you just got to learn it and go on. It's interesting. When you started decades ago as a professional bass fisherman, a guy that enjoyed his his, his basically his vacation or his hobby, turned it into a professional career and great sponsorship, great camaraderie on the tour with a lot of your partners that you've been out there with for all these years battling it out. You've seen a lot of changes in technology. Fishing is probably one of the most dynamic industries that has changed and evolved with new technology. We can talk the same about archery and other things in technology, but fishing is just off the chains with cutting-edge technology, apps, computer technology, this, it, this radar, sonar. I mean, it's nuts. It, it changes. Uh, I mean, it's just like buying a computer. By the time you get it home, some of them's outdated already. You know, that technology is constantly just keeps evolving. And each year, it's like, well, it can't get any better than what we already have. And each year, it gets better than what we already have. So... It's just, uh, it's amazing to see what's coming. Uh, you know, some things we do get a little bit of insight. 
prior to it um, actually meeting the market or hitting the market out there. So that's kind of fun to get to play with some of these things before they actually do get out onto the market. But uh, the trolling motors, the motors, the boats, the electronics, the fishing gear, everything just constantly gets bigger and better and lighter and, you know, more efficient as it goes. All right. So we're talking to professional bass fishermen. Billy McDonald, BMAC Fishing. You can find him on social media. I always encourage you to follow him and his great videos and teaching. So if you're an average guy like me out there who's a weekend warrior, loves to go out and, you know, enjoy time in a boat and, you know, is working on a budget and you don't have all this latest and greatest, that shouldn't dampen your spirits about wetting a line. But do you have any tips as people are going into the cooler months here in Indiana, a lot of still great fishing, what are some of your thoughts? as people are evolving their fishing techniques this fall yeah the main thing too is always have fun at it you got to have fun at the game whether you know whatever price point you're at go out and enjoy it but going into the fall you know these fish are starting to feed up you know these cooler temperatures these shorter nights uh, that bait fish is all kind of if you're on a reservoir or bigger lakes they're moving back into the creeks so it's time to get back into those creeks maybe use a moving type bait whether it be a a um, bladed jig or spinnerbait topwater baits topwater fishing gets absolutely phenomenal the later the year goes billy mcdonald is our guest you're also an avid hunter and i know you're going to be switching from the water to the woods here very shortly are you have you already left the water are you already in the woods we've already been Uh, all the lanes are cut all the tree stands are hung all the safety lines are hung and we do preach, you know, safety, safety, safety. When you're in those tree stands, when you're out there hunting, you know, be of the most safest you could be. Same as in the boat, wear those life jackets. Um, but yes, things are been shooting a boat quite a bit, and things are geared up and ready to go. What are your thoughts on crossbows? I just got my first crossbow. Ah, uh, there again, it's another tool that's out there for people to embrace and use i'm just getting Uh, old billy that's my problem and then i got other folks that i want to come along and extend the season but they don't know how to shoot a bow like i do or you do perhaps and i felt like it was an opportunity for me to to add to my hunting season and uh, bring some newer newer ones along that don't have the time to necessarily pick it up but i've encouraged all my kids to learn how to shoot a compound bow and maybe take it hunting and kill a deer with it but but I decided, what the heck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in on what everybody's been talking about here, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, the crossbows is an awesome tool. Me, I'm still I'm still a compound guy. I'm holding out. My shoulders hurt, but I'm holding <laughs> out as long as I can before I change over to the You and me both. But, well, but it, it, it extends the life of a hunter, so, hey, it's a good thing. Embrace it. Billy, always great to visit with you. Best of luck in Texas. Big tournament for you. End of the season. We'll catch up to you in hunting season. We'll talk about some Billy McDonald hunting tips. How's that? Sounds good, Brian. Always Thanks great to visit with you, my friend. Best of luck to you this weekend. Talk, oh, great one. You too. My friend and Indian Outdoors friend, Billy McDonald, great. Check him out on social media, Billy McDonald Fishing, and we will look forward to talking to him again real soon. Safe travels to him. It's the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. We're going to catch up with the editor of Guns Magazine when we return. Brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Back right after this.
Indiana Outdoors. So grateful that you're available to join us today. Pass it along. Thank the stations. We couldn't do it without you. And many thanks to all of our guests and new stations and affiliates across the state of Indiana that join us each and every week. And as mentioned, we've talked about herpetology. Big word early on a Saturday morning, but I love talking to Nate about these wall lizards that are now moving into the state of Indiana. It's all good. I've learned it's all good. But that's why I talk. I learn something new each and every week. That's why we talk to our experts. And also, uh, Billy McDonald, professional bass fisherman out on the final few legs of the pro bass fishing circuit. Great to visit with him. We're going to switch gears to one of our favorite longtime uh, contributors here, Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine. Brent, I love asking this question because I never know where it's going to go. How you been and what have you been doing? <laughs> Well, that's true. And I got to say, out of the gate, I was chuckling about wall lizards. I don't know why I find lizards entertaining, but I do. But no, <clears throat> and sorry, I'm, I'm just getting over. Apparently, it was just a cold, even though they tested me for everything, including dengue fever. But uh, apparently, it was just a cold. So if I. What do you I mean? That still exists? That, I mean, <laughs> colds happen? I know. Actually, my doc said, I think you've got COVID. And I'm like, that'd be the third time. But I tested negative for everything. So who knows? But it was it was the cold from hell. But I'm getting better now. And I'm currently focused on, you know, it's getting to be King Salmon season up at the lakes. And my record for the last two years with my boat has been 0 and 50. <laughs> so we're we're trying. But I got to say that uh, talking to all of our mutual friends up there, like Mike Schoenveld and yep. uh, Tom Berg and those guys, the the Kings have not shown up yet. The uh, water is 70 degrees top to bottom, and the big boys haven't shown up. But that's good because, you know, my boat, I hate to admit this publicly, but my boat's not been in the water this year at all. So well, I that's what happens when do. you sit high atop the throne of Guns Magazine <laughs> as the editor. You know, you've you got an empire to take care of. I guess. I guess. That's, I, I've said it before, but, you know, people are always like, uh, boy, you just must travel and go to the range and shoot and hunt. And you know what I do? I only work half days, 12 hours sitting in front of a computer <laughs> all the time. So it's, I'm not complaining. I'm the happiest little boy in America. I've got a fantastic job, but it, there's days it's a job. <laughs> Understood. We're visiting with Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine, award-winning Hoosier Outdoor writer, friend of Indiana Outdoors for a long time. So what's on the issue stands coming up, or what are you working on? What are some of the things in the buzz in the industry? How are things? What keeps you awake at night? (laughs) Everything keeps me awake at night. That's part of the problem. You know, again, you talk about jobs. When you wake up at at 2 to 3 in the morning, which is a normal thing, and you suddenly realize, oh, gosh, I haven't scheduled the photographer for the cover shot, you know, a month out, um, that cold sweat at 2 a.m. is a bad thing. But, um, no, it's just uh, the industry is starting to ramp up. The summer doldrums are kind of over with uh, everybody taking, you know, vacation and time off and all that. So we're starting to make plans for the fall and winter. Of course, uh, we've started talking about SHOT Show, the annual big deal in January in Las Vegas. So it's hard to believe that's that. back on the schedule, right? It's back in I front know. of everybody's getting ready to go. Well, exactly, because, you know, that's one of those things you don't just kind of go, oh, hey, let's go next week. It takes months to uh, plan out, and we've got to plan our coverage and how we're going to uh, tackle that that monster, you know, Super Bowl-level kind of thing in our industry. And uh, so, uh, you know, companies are starting to uh, not necessarily throw out the – 
uh, press releases, but, you know, we've got our ear to the ground, so we're starting to hear, hey, uh, you know, we may have a big announcement here, you know, the opening day of shots. So that that kind of stuff is, is coming around. And then there's also a, a kind of the prequel to SHOT show called NASGW, which is over Dayton, Ohio this year. And it's a uh, very much business-to-business thing. It's a lot smaller, but everybody likes it because it's kind of the run-up to SHOT show, and a lot of the companies will start uh, announcing uh, things there. So you'll probably start seeing some new gun announcements uh, late October, 1st of November, uh, before the Christmas season. So well, we're talking about that. And then, like I said, w- once once we get to January, all bets are off because everything goes crazy with the SHOT Show. Uh, indeed. Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine. I'm going to do a 180 here on you. Are you a crossbow guy? <clears throat> I had one, and I sold it. Um, I don't have anything against them. Um, it's just one of those things. I've got so many other things going on. I thought... I got a really nice crossbow sitting here. Why am I letting it gather dust? So the short answer is no, I'm not, but I probably should be. And one of these days when I really retire, I'll probably be one. Well, I just bought one, so we're going to see what what kind of trouble I can get in with that. And, you know, I, I'm a, re, a compound guy all my life, and I've resisted up until now. But, you know, I have uh, younger adult kids who are getting into it that – have busy schedules and want to extend the season so i figured what the heck and man that is you can run down some rabbit holes when you're looking for a crossbow there's a million different varieties in time and i finally just got so sick of it i said i want that one <laughs> like, we'll see how that goes so are you going to get out and do a little hunting or you got uh going to be desk desk bound well you know when you said that and i realized uh what we're three weeks out from October one, um, that caused sweat on my brow again because uh, again my my bow is I've got nice bow and all the accoutrement and it's sitting in my gun closet gathering dust. So, oh Brian, <laughs> I, I know first world <laughs> problems, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So. Let, tell people about your podcast. Tell people about where they can get the issue, what they got to look forward to here real quickly, kind of bring it home and tell us what, what's coming up this fall on Guns Magazine. Oh, goodness. We've got uh, the Springfield Echelon is going to be on our January cover, which is one we're working on. Uh, got uh, some Stoger uh, pistols that are cool. Uh, the podcast is, is, is rolling great. We're coming up on 200. Uh, actually, yeah, next Friday is our 200th edition. Holy and uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so you can check that out on any of the podcast directories. And, uh, of course, you can always check it out at gunsmagazine.com. Brent, always great to visit with you. What do people need to know that I haven't asked you about? What what else you've been working on? Anything oh, that's boy. fun? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I built a pond and a stream in my backyard. No so wonder you haven't been able it. to put your damn boat in the water. I know. I know. I had to get that done before I could get the boat in the water. So now there's no major home pro- projects. So now I can actually enjoy the world. And, and I got that brand new knee that's a year old. And I was, uh, we had lunch at Sugar, on Sugar Creek yesterday. And I'm thinking, man, I got to get out there. But falling on the new knee might not be a good thing. So I'm still kind of sussing that out. You and me both. All right, my friend. Thanks so much for being a part of Indiana Outdoors. Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine. Check him out online. Thanks for being a part of Indiana Outdoors, my friend. Thanks, Brian. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. One of my favorite people, Brent Wheat. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, and I am your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back right after this. 
just cover the gamut here. We just cover the broad cornucopia of Indiana outdoor stuff. Herpetology kicked the show off. That's about the fourth time we've talked to Nate this year. We talked to him about tree frogs. We talked to him about this supposed man-eating snapping turtle debunked down at Lake Monroe. And now we've got these lizards, the Lazarus, Lazarus lizards. That's hard to say have moved and migrated it's a good thing this is mother nature expanding her territory so it's always good to uh have this type of a conversation and learn something different and they want you to send in pictures if you see these wall lizards or the lazarus lizards as they're called god i gotta learn how to say that that's just too much this early hour uh brent wheat always great to visit with him editor of guns magazine up on 200 episodes of his podcast and so many great things going on at guns magazine award-winning hoosier outdoor writer the editor of the largest magazine dedicated only to guns on newsstands hoosier native great to visit with him hopefully he'll get that boat in the water Speaking of King Salmon, I've heard the same. It's about that time we need to keep up to date on when the kings show up. So he said they're not quite there yet. Water temperature's not right. Speaking of water temperatures, Billy McDonald pays attention to those. He is one of Indiana's great professional bass fishermen. Always great to catch up with him and find out what's going on on the tour. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host. Remember, turn in a poacher. 1-800-TIP-IDNR. Be safe. Go Irish. Go Irish.